it wasn't just a bug in the system, but misinformation and hate speech, these were kind of part of the system. We could see the most serious misinformation, the most damaging hate speech, and then give the technology companies a heads up to say, hey, this is where you should be looking right now in the world. Welcome to the 13th episode of the Media Jungle video podcast. I'm your host, Alex Regeer, coming to you every week to break down the business behind the news industry, technology, and the creator economy. Misinformation is destroying the truth and it's a terrible thing, unless you're a company that gets paid to stop misinformation then it can be good for business. It's still a terrible thing. Mark Little is here, the founder of misinformation fighting platform Kinzen. He's also the founder of a little known company named Storyful, sold to News Corp for $25 million about 10 years ago, not to be confused with another company called Story Hunter, my company. I'm really excited to talk to you again. Mark, you seem to pick some of the toughest enemies. Yeah, I suppose I'm one of those people in media who sort of runs toward the fire. Wherever I think there's going to be something like a clash, a seismic shift between technology and journalism and media, that's where I've always just been obsessed is wherever the problem is, right? I mean, if you're a good entrepreneur, you're supposed to start with the problem, not with solution. And wherever I am, there's trouble. So that's kind of like yeah. mark my and career. And I mean, 10 years ago, we saw the boom and, you know, uh, uh, social media disrupting, uh, breaking news, and you were at the forefront with Storyful. Now you're at the forefront of this misinformation sort of boom. Yeah. So I, with Storyful, I, I, I think there was kind of two waves of the social web. I think the first wave was everybody thought this was a liberation. I remember with Storyful, we got founded because in the Arab uh, Spring, the Arab uprisings, we were finding these amazing videos. But then we were also realizing there was misinformation and there were governments trying to pull the wool over our eyes on social media. And so we thought back at Storyful, we were fixing a bug in the system, a bit like pollution, right? There's a fabulous new way of communicating in the world. It's got a couple of problems. We'll fix them with Storyful. That wasn't the case. I went to work for Twitter, started to realize that it wasn't just a bug in the system, but misinformation and hate speech, these were kind of part of the system. Right? They were being promoted by the algorithms. And, and that second problem is what I got obsessed with, was that this was far deeper than just a bit of a side effect. There was something really deep in the roots of the business model and the algorithms that run the internet these days. And, and we had to go and see if we could fix that. That was the small, tiny problem I set out with Kinzen to solve. So maybe you can help break down exactly how Kinzen works and what you do for people. I got obsessed with the impact of machine learning, right? So if you're sitting on Spotify, if you're you know, on Netflix or you're writing your email, there's machine learning in the background recommending what happens next. So I got obsessed with all of that and I realized as a journalist, if I could match good old fashioned editorial analysis with these machine learning algorithms, we could do a way better job at finding the really terrible stuff that's on the internet. Because at the moment, you got these content moderators are overwhelmed, making decisions every day on millions of pieces of content. So we wanted to bring in trained analysts matched with machine learning to give early warning 
of where we could see the most serious misinformation, the most damaging hate speech, and then give the technology companies a heads up to say, hey, this is where you should be looking right now in the world because there's really bad stuff happening with real world harm. So your clients are the platforms, their governments, their NGOs. What, who, who do you work with? Yeah, we generally don't work with governments, but we do work with, you know, public health agencies. But pri primarily we work with big technology companies. These are people that have got a lot of audio or video on their platforms. We also work as well with the content moderators. Many of these big platforms outsource the content moderation to other workforces. And we've also worked with fact checkers uh, with a wide range of people. We're interested in brand safety, so hopefully helping advertisers make better decisions about whether to put their ads on the internet. But right now, it's the tech platforms that use us as a kind of a radar early warning system of where in the world they need to be worried about it. For example, we had just big elections in Philippines, and we were watching there because we saw the dominant candidate, the guy who won the election, was using a lot of misinformation and manipulation in the background to kind of drum up support online. So that's one of the things we are watching out for is that kind of threat. So maybe you could take us in there. Like what types of things are you looking for? How does, how do you detect it? How does it all kind of work? Yeah, so we are in about 17 different languages right now. We've got these well-trained analysts in these different places around the world, essentially watching out for the trends that are coming from different platforms uh, and that are coming from different networks as well also in different languages. So we've got machine learning helping us translate and transcribe audio video for us, spawning patterns and then telling the machine or the human being, hey, keep an eye on this. So it's a what we call human in the loop machine learning system where the human being is playing a role in correcting and priming the pump of the machine learning all the time. And it just gets better and better. So what types of things can it, can it uh, come up with? And you can do this in any language? Yeah, so we're benefit we're benefiting from major advances in machine learning. And I always think with media people, like, you know, we think the biggest change over the last 10 years has been subscription and paywalls and creator economy. I would argue that for media and, and communications in general, it was the birth of what they call these big language models, where the big companies like Google, Microsoft, and uh, Facebook have developed these massive natural language processing models. A good example would be what's called GPT-3. Now, this is powering things like translation, transcription, autocomplete, but they've now outsourced them. So a small, tiny company like ours in Ireland uh, can actually use these open source models, a bit like the way that in the birth of home computing, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we all got access to this massive computational power. So we're using that and we sit on top and we build our new models on top of that. So it's all down to this rapid advance in the last couple of years that allows us to, with the human eye, you know, exponentially scale the skill of a human editor. And that's what's so exciting about this. It's kind of old fashioned editorial skill matched with like, in some cases, like just cutting edge technology. And then you notify the platform or the client that this looks like it's developing into something that might go viral or into a conspiracy theory or into something that might be damaging? Yeah, we're also helping them sort out between people just expressing a good opinion or a bad opinion and they might have just dissent, like someone who might be against the conventional wisdom versus someone who's actually trying to create real world harm. So for example, someone might go on and say, you know, I don't like this religion, but we want to make sure we distinguish that from someone says, I'm going to go out and harm people of another religion. So we're helping these big platforms make very fine 
calibrated decisions. Uh, and in that way, we're hoping that we're helping make a contribution to, you know, freedom of speech, to better expression, to distinguish between what's a real threat and what's just someone saying something wrong in the internet or expressing an unpopular viewpoint. So making that difference between harm and opinion is one of the things we're watching out for. So to give an example, we'd be watching elections in, for example, Brazil coming up or in Kenya, where there might be violence because one side will go on the internet and manipulate debate and try and sense people and make them go out and commit violence. It's that kind of early warning that we're looking for. Can we see a trend that might result in someone getting hurt in real life? You know, as they did, for example, in Myanmar a few years ago, where Facebook just didn't have eyes on the local community in Facebook in Myanmar, where there was literally genocidal acts created because people on Facebook were using that platform to create real world harm. So we're we're very informed by that experience and so are the technology platforms. So Mark, was this a, the same direction that you always had with Kinzen? No, we started out thinking about how we could push the good stuff, right? So we started out thinking to ourselves, the reason why we're so screwed up and particularly social media is that the really quality media that, that people really feel meets some sort of like intentional need, right? The quality, political news, um, or even just news about your profession. It, it has to compete with all of the dross. It has to compete with the algorithms constantly feeding you things that feed to your worst instincts. So what we wanted to do initially was use this machine learning to find out like what Alex wants. He lives in a certain place. He works at a certain Miami. job. There you go. <laughs> You're in Miami. Uh, you want to know about the dolphins. You want to know about your local community, but you also want to know about your media business. You want to all have control over your algorithm. And that's what we started doing. So it was a positive idea, like push the good stuff faster to Alex. But we got a phone call from a friend of mine who used to work at Twitter and said, hey, can you also use that machine learning to detect the bad stuff? And it turns out we can't. So it's almost like a reverse recommender. So we started out looking at a consumer-facing play to give people an ability to... So Twitter is a client. Well, yeah, you was like, could we build something on top of that? Like it was a consumer facing yeah. aggregator. So it was a bit like smart news or some of those folks doing really good work in the aggregator space. But the difference was we wanted to give the ordinary person control over the algorithm. Like I want to change over to audio. I want 15 minutes in the morning at this particular time. I want to show you almost like an app for fitness. What does your news look like at the end of the week? So that was the thing we tried to do initially. But we came across a huge problem. Publishers don't want to do deals with new tech platforms, right? <laughs> They've been bitten by the last wave of dependence they've had on platforms. And so we would have had to go out and do deals with every single publisher to maintain a high enough quality of content for consumers to bite. Meanwhile, as I say, we got a phone call from somebody who said, listen, we're having a problem. We don't know what's in all of this vast amount of audio and video. Can you use machine learning to detect the bad stuff? And that's exactly where we went then. We decided, you know what? We can actually do a much better job at providing an enterprise software play for the big tech companies to be better at detecting the really bad stuff and making sure they can make yeah. the right decisions. So then it's like a SaaS model where you charge a subscription? Yeah, so it's a pretty big enterprise software play. Like we're doing okay. very big deals across multiple markets. And yeah, so it's it's got to the point now where it's very much like a big software play. 
Um, and I think that is only increasing in size as we go forward, as people become more dependent in a good way on the services that we're providing and more importantly on the technology because we've got to the point now where we're building stuff that is absolutely cutting edge um, and we've been benefiting a lot from I think one of the biggest changes in the media space and that's these new big learning models we've all heard about GPT-3 and BERT and what's happening here is, is a bit like the revolution of the home computer back you know 30 years ago these big NLP models are helping a small startup out of Dublin like ours. So what's NLP? Natural language processing. What this means is think about your autocomplete on your email, right? You're, you're writing your email and it's detecting what is in the words you're writing. And it's suggesting words to complete the sentence. Essentially, language models, these massive, big uh, computational models that have been built by the big platforms They've been open source now. So small startups like us can build a new model to transcribe Arabic. Um, and we use this machine learning model, essentially build on top of it. Uh, and that's where we've got this cutting edge technology that can understand, you know, Arabic, for example, is like one written language, but it's actually spoken in about 12 or 13 dialects. And we have to transcribe the audio. And that's where the machine learning starts to get really yeah. smart. Next segment, Elon Musk bought Twitter. Uh, you used to work for Twitter. There's a lot of misinformation. I'm sure you're identifying on Twitter. And uh, they're, they're trying to figure out how to control it and balance it with free speech. Elon Musk is a big free speech guy. He, he just said uh, he's probably going to let Trump back on. Uh, they have to try to control bots. They're gonna, there's a lot of things he could do. What, what advice would you kind of give him? as a way to make Twitter better and to f allow free speech and fight misinformation. You know, I, I listen, I'm a big admirer of Elon Musk. I've met him. Uh, I, I admire what he's done. This guy will be considered to be the greatest entrepreneur of this generation and many generations, right? Even what he's done with Tesla, right? And I actually think in some cases, he's got some good ideas about Twitter. And I work for Twitter and I can tell you, it was a pretty dysfunctional kind of place. It was not managed uh, the way you would like. And yet, at the same time, a lot of very good people working there. For me, what's happened with Musk over the past couple of weeks, he's got some great ideas potentially about running it as a better business, introducing things like payments and tipping and subscription products, maybe some other elements that he can bring to the table. Better organization, more focus on product, all great ideas. Here's the problem. He's outside of a swim lane when it comes to the big issues of content moderation. He's got a particular view on Donald Trump being deplatformed. And I think he's, you know, that's a, it's a matter of opinion. I think he's probably right that taking people permanently off Twitter is not a good idea. But when he starts to explain what he's going to do about content moderation, you suddenly see him losing his way. Like last night, for example, he came out and said deplatforming Trump was a really bad idea. Again, nothing wrong with that. Then he goes on to say, um, you know, that he was saying that we should basically say if there are tweets that are wrong and bad, um, you know, we should make them invisible or maybe suspend them or a temporary suspension, but not a permanent ban. And you're like, everybody who knew anything about content moderation was tearing their hair out because for years they've been realizing it's just really difficult. You know, I, I was one favorite guy that I like is Alex Stamos, who's a former security chief of Facebook. And he said, you know, watching Musk last night, trying to make these simplistic solutions, like watching a baby play with a blender from behind a plexiglass wall, right? He was coming up with these solutions on the hoof. 
and he hasn't looked under yeah. the hood, right? So in the end of the day, yeah. it comes to these high-profile decisions like Trump, um, content decisions in the United States that form a tiny proportion of the rules and of the content moderation decisions being taken every single day. And for the rest of those decisions, there's lots of good reasons for them. So in the end of the day, good content moderation is never going to be perfect. But good content moderation is the best thing for free speech. So maybe Elon seems like he's a bit naive about some of these things now, but you have sort of trust that he will try to get to the bottom of the complexities of it? Yeah, like he met the other day, the European commissioner, uh, one of the people responsible for bringing new rules in here in Europe that will be making these platforms more accountable, more transparent. He said he agreed with everything he'd heard, which is a big surprise to me because I thought he was on a collision course with Europe. So he's showing signs that he is educating himself really, really quickly. I think the key for him is to be listening to the smart people inside Twitter that have been doing this for quite a while and making really tough decisions in a tough environment. So learning a lot about what happens when you look outside the United States, when you get to a country like Kenya or Myanmar, or you look at a country where the language at the moment is not being protected. Nobody knows how people are fermenting hate. So you've got to really have a deeper understanding. And I think just like perhaps uh, he saved SpaceX and he saved Tesla from constant threat in the early days, I would hope he brings the same kind of openness to problem solving and not get stuck on the tiny proportions of content moderation cases that get such huge publicity and think about the responsibility to the, what, a couple of hundred million people who call Twitter their daily home or at least use it on a basis and get some service of it. I think to de defend free speech, you can't just say everybody can say something. You can't just say, we'll let Trump be on the platform. You have to make sure that people are protected from the bullies and the abusers and the spam armies. So there is a, a you know, need for good content moderation. Hmm. Yeah, it's almost like we're going to meet uh, Elon Musk uh, like we meet our politicians when they run for office. He's, he's like put himself at the center of this important communication platform. Mark, so glad to have you. Hope to have you back soon. You can follow Mark at Mark Little News on Twitter and also check out Kinzen.com. Until next week. Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. By the way, we also are a video podcast where you can see extra memes, charts, visuals about the segments. So you can find that on YouTube or subscribe to our Substack newsletter for exclusive updates. And thank you so much for listening. See you next week.